Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Government agencies use technology to increase the efficiency of their services, but rapid changes in technology create a need for additional training to help the workforce remain current in their knowledge and application of new innovations. As organizational roles evolve and require new skills and knowledge, government agencies need to address the ever-growing information technology skills gap in their workforce by reskilling employees. One way to address the skills gap involves technology-oriented training programs. What are the characteristics of an effective technology-oriented training? How can these programs help government agencies succeed in developing and reskilling the workforce of the future? And what can be done to ensure the transfer of technical, functional, and contextual knowledge to the workplace after training? Today, we will explore these questions and so much more with Stacey Petter and Lori Giddens, authors of the IBM Center Report, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. Stacey and Lori, welcome to the show. It's great to have you both. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. I'd like to start off by providing some context. What are technology-oriented training programs, and how do they seek to address information technology skill gaps amongst the government workforce? Stacey? So technology-oriented training programs are programs that allow individuals to learn new skills about one or more technologies in order to address new or existing organizational problems. Because we know that organizations are rapidly evolving and changing. And if we think about the technology that's being used in organizations, it's constantly changing, roles are expanding, it's, it's ever evolving. So there's been some statistics that suggest kind of how rapidly, you know, the workforce is evolving and particularly as it relates to technology. So for example, about 54% of organizations say they have a deficit in technical skills. Um, and even within the federal government, the General Accountability Office frequently identifies strategic human capital management as a high-risk area, and in large part because of the skills gap that happens as technology evolves. So these technology-oriented training programs are very important because they offer a means to allow an organization to ensure that their employees have the technology skills that they need to perform their current jobs and new jobs and roles that may be evolving in the workplace. Lori, would you delve deeper into the three distinct training components of these programs? Perhaps you could illustrate these components within the context of upskilling. Okay, well, we focus mainly on the reskilling aspect. So you'll see some upskilling um, wrapped up into this, but in these programs, there's typically three components that we identify. There's straight technical training that can involve some upskilling, but it is teaching specific systematic um, instructions on how to use a technology or a part of a technology. So it might be a step-by-step -step instructions on how to do something as simple as running a report 
in a software program such as Excel, right? So it can be technical training on a specific technology. And then that other aspect of these reskilling programs is functional knowledge that teaches skills that transfer to a variety of contexts in organizational roles. So these skills can include general knowledge such as general technical knowledge, communication, or even leadership knowledge and skills. So for an example, it might be with Deliver Fund had training for law enforcement officers using technology to investigate human trafficking. Well, some of those skills can transfer to any form of um, police investigation. So it's a general knowledge that they can apply no matter their role. But what to me sets apart reskilling programs is that there's also this component of contextual knowledge that is specific to the organization or the role that you're wanting to work in. So it might be specific to, in Deliver Fund's case, human trafficking training, or maybe it's in specific to running um, security programs or cybersecurity programs in government agencies in areas of that role that they have to focus specifically on. That's wonderful. You know, I was wondering, um, you point out in, in your report, you know, government agencies incur multiple costs to train and reskill their employees. I was hoping you could you outline some of those costs for our, our listeners? Yeah, so there's several costs to training. Some people think it's just the cost that we send someone to training and they're gone and we have to pay their travel costs or the cost of the training itself. But it's more than that. So it's the cost of the training program and the associated travel. But then you have employees who are gone not doing their day-to-day work. So not attending meetings, not getting work done um, while they're at these trainings. So that's an expense. And then there's also expense to um, purchase or acquire the technology that the employee is being trained on. And that could be, you know, not very significant. It could be one license or it could be a very, very um, expensive technology, just depending on what it is. And so unless the individuals come back from attending training and stay at your organization and share the knowledge, then the knowledge that they bring back um, from that investment into training only stays as long as the employee remains in your organization. So it could be a lost cause if you lose the employee after training as well. That's an important point. And I think um, I enjoyed your report because it did bring up the practical um, challenges that uh, government executives are dealing with when they're seeking to reskill and, and keep folks here, retain them. So although the costs associated with training employees are significant, to what extent are the benefits of an effective technology-oriented skill, reskilling program? In, how is it invaluable to these agency executives? And perhaps you can elaborate. Yeah, so there's a real, there's a huge benefit to sending employees to training. So a lot of employees, um, that enjoy learning and mastering new skills, this can really improve their motivation and morale. And, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about engaging their employees. I mean, this is a great way to do that so they can learn new skills. And it, I think, encourages them to get more involved at work and to try new things that can help the organization. Um, Another benefit is that employees that intend training programs can really enlarge their network of peers 
across agencies um, that can provide social support and access to knowledge um, with their peers and other agencies. So you're basically creating a community of practice or have an opportunity to expand their community of practice um, when you send employees to training. Um, another aspect is that effective training offers the employees to really solve existing or new problems that come up or emerge in an organization. So maybe they can't um, apply what they've learned right away or some of what they've learned, but then this problem might arise where you have a new role or a new problem come up in your organization and those that have gone to training might be able to step in and say, here's how I'm here's how we can start to address this issue now. I learned about this. I talked to other people about this. They're seeing it in their organization. So it really expands their ability to come in and um, address those emerging issues in the organization. Where I was going next is around the importance. And why is it so important for government agency leaders to ensure that their workforce have higher levels of technology-oriented skills and knowledge? And how does the push, at least in the federal context, around IT modernization factor into this reality? Stacy. So unfortunately, Michael, sometimes it takes a crisis within a government agency to realize they need higher levels of technology-oriented skills. So a few examples come to mind. So for example, um, when federal agencies or state or local agencies are hit with cyber attacks, and we've seen some recent examples of that um, in specific states where they've been hit with cyber attacks, and they realize we need more technology, we need a workforce that's equipped to be able to handle these types of situations. The COVID-19 pandemic revealed all kinds of technological vulnerabilities and, and technology skills gaps within organizations, whether it was analyzing data and reporting on uh, COVID case counts early in the pandemic, unemployment systems within states that were really struggling to keep up with the demand for unemployment benefits. There's been all sorts of challenges that have emerged that starts to make it come to the forefront that technology skills are needed. And unfortunately, at that point, it's a little late in the process to try to gain those skills needed um, because it's going to take some time in order to hire the workforce and to try to train the workforce at that point. Um, it's, there's going to be a lag effect. There's going to be some problems there. There's been other situations where I think in part, thanks to the federal um, Technology Modernization Act um, and the Technology Modernization Board that was all created in 20, 2017, Different agencies have realized we're starting to hit a wall with how far we can progress our systems. And kind of one famous example is the Department of Defense. They were still running 1970s era computing technology and using eight-inch floppy disks, which you know are in museums, right? They're in the Smithsonian. You can see these eight-inch floppy disks. Most young people today have never have never even seen a floppy disk, much less the, the eight-inch floppy disks. Um, so a lot of agencies are realizing we need to modernize because either the hardware is no longer supported, the software or the programming skills behind the scenes to run the software are not supported and are not available. And we don't have the workforce that can support these types of skills. So through these different efforts to modernize government, whether it be at a federal level or a state or local level, um, there's been some different support that's been available. So you mentioned the Modernization of Government Technology Act in 2017, and, and there has been some financial support in order to help agencies improve and replace in these aging information technology systems, really for the point of increasing efficiency and effectiveness. But what's important to remember is you can't just improve the technology, but not 
improve the skills of the people that are going to be running and using that technology. So that's where technology-oriented uh, reskilling training programs come into play, is you need a workforce that's not only ready to, to implement that technology, but they need to be ready to use it and to leverage it in strategic and important ways to further the organization's mission. That's an important point, Stacey. And I know Lori mentioned this also. My next question is around transfer training. Ensuring it is especially critical now, uh, given the number of employees expected to need reskilling or upskilling going forward. Several factors you guys identify influence an employee's ability to transfer uh, knowledge and skills learned during training. Could you tell us more about those factors? Sure. So we focus on three specific factors and we drill down on each of these in our report, but just to give you some highlights of these three major factors. So one would be the characteristics of the employee that's going to training. So thinking about the, the people within your workforce that you're sending to these technology oriented training programs, what are they like? So people who have a personality that's more open to experience, they have curiosity, they have imagination, or conscientiousness is another important personality trait that tends to lead to transfer of training. People who have a certain level of responsibility towards their work and towards the goal or mission um, of the workplace, they're going to be more open to training experiences. Those who have higher levels of cognitive ability that are, you know, high executive functioning, good attention skills, memory processing skills, they're going to perform and, and recall training better in the long run people who are internally motivated, and then also those who have a sense of self-efficacy or a sense of self-confidence that, hey, I can go to a training class and I can learn something and I can take it away and I'm going to be able to use it in a workplace, right? So when there's that sense of self-esteem or self-confidence that comes from training or that, that ability or skill set, um, these people are going to be more likely to transfer their training into the workplace. But then it also, not only is it matter about the employee, but the training delivery mechanisms are also important as well. So the design of training is important. There's different ways in which people learn. So having a range of activities, maybe that's case studies, maybe it's examples, maybe it's hands-on activities, but people learn in different ways and with different learning styles. So there needs to be a variety of learning strategies to help people reinforce and integrate what they're learning um, to integrate that, that functional, that contextual, and that technical training during that training session being able to recover from errors or mistakes that happen during training. Because the one thing that's so hard is you sit in training and you have a trainer looking over your shoulder saying, oh, you did that wrong. Let me help you fix that. There's no trainer looking over your shoulder when you get back to the workplace. So you need to be able to learn how to recover from mistakes or how to make adjustments whenever what you think you're doing is correct and you find out it's not, right? So you have to be able to adjust getting practice and feedback, having goals throughout training. These are also really important things to help a person be able to take what they're learning directly in that training class and be able to apply it after the fact. So not only do we need an employee to be ready to go to training, we need the right training program, but we also need the right work environment to support training as well. So that's that third component that's so important. And this has to do a lot with the support provided within the organization. Supervisors, once they send their employees to training, they need to be engaged and ready to support that person post-training, have the technology available for them um, when they come back from training give them time to be able to practice those skills and recognize it's going to take some time. Um, just because you went to a training doesn't mean you're going to be fast and efficient at using that technology yet. It's going to take some time to adjust to new processes and um, along the way. And then ensuring there's some peer support. So maybe these are peers within the same organization or peers that were met during training. So other people that can help support that person 
after the fact um, once they finish that training process. So it takes really these three pieces together. It takes the employee that, or the trainee that's going in their characteristics. It's the training design and delivery, as well as the environment of the organization that makes transfer of training more effective. Stacy and Lori, many organizations realize it is not feasible to hire new people with the necessary skills to fill the roles and responsibilities of open positions and instead rely on training to improve employee skill sets. Stacy, would you outline the options available to support technology-oriented training? Yes, there's several different ways that we can employ technology-oriented training in the workplace. Um, and so it really just depends on what are the needs of the employee or the person going to training as well as the organization, which, which technique is most appropriate. And so there's been five broad categories of training that have been previously defined in the literature uh, that we share in our report. And just as a quick overview, here they are now. So the first would be on-ramps. And these are for people who are unemployed or they're underemployed. It's very specific training training, helping them enter in a specific role. So we might think of like trades when you have apprenticeships and trade programs, that would be a good example of an on-ramp. We have upskilling and upskilling is the second type of approach. And that's when we increase an employee's skill set to make sure they can do their current job. So if a new technology is being introduced in the organization, we train them on that technology to make sure they can continue doing that role. The third approach is reskilling, which is really the focus of our report. And it's really trying to help employees for new roles that occur within the organization. So we're training them on new technology, new skills, so they can fulfill roles that might be emerging or are already created in the organization or new roles that haven't been invented yet. And these people might be working in the same organization or they might need to transfer to a different organization in order to perform that role. The fourth approach is outskilling. So this would be for people who might be targeted for layoffs, trying to provide them some training to help bridge them and move them into a different field. So maybe they're being laid off because of automation or other technology advancements. So how do you give them the skill sets that they need so they can transfer into a different type of job and continue to be employable and part of the workforce? And then the fifth type of category of training is education as a benefit. So this would be training programs, discounts, tuition remission that many organizations offer to employees. These are typically used to try to retain your talent. And for those who intrinsically love to learn and want to improve their skills, this is a benefit that's offered just like we would see other uh, human resources benefits like retirement. Education can be offered as a benefit in order to try to retain your talent. What are the characteristics of an effective technology-oriented training? We'll explore this question and so much more on a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors Returns. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. 
Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Lori Giddens and Stacey Petter, authors of the IBM Center Report, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. Lori, how do you define effective technology-oriented training? So we define effective technology-oriented training um, as the transfer of the technical, functional, and contextual knowledge to the workplace after training. So in other words, if individuals are able to take the skills they gained in training and actually apply them to their work role um, and expanded role if needed in the workplace. Stacy, I'd like to explore in more depth the two case studies you presented in your report for the IBM Center, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. Would you tell us more about the Deliver Funds program, the range of training methods and components it uses? Sure. So Deliver Fund, just to set the stage, they're a nonprofit organization, and they work to end human trafficking by providing actionable and verifiable intelligence related to human trafficking activity to different law enforcement agencies, local, state, and federal level. And as part of their organization mission, they also provide technology-oriented training courses to help law enforcement officers know how to conduct human trafficking investigations. And so this training program, um, the one that we really profile in this case study, um, it's a seven-day course that covers a range of topics, such as um, being able to use uh, social media in order to exploit that to identify trafficking activity, understanding how to interview victims, officer safety during operations, as well as using a range of technology-based tools in order to investigate human trafficking. And so throughout this seven-day course, trainees are able to have a lot of hands-on experience with training. They spend a lot of time doing hands-on training with technology. They use real cases and data to the extent available. They also really encourage the officers to take existing cases and start to apply the technology tools that they're showing them to their existing cases to see if they can try to apply this whenever they're able to go back to their home agencies after training. So really the whole point of this program, the seven-day training course, is to offer officers with some knowledge and tools so they can conduct effective investigations to identify human trafficking networks. As a follow-up, what are the benefits of this program and what are the limitations related to its ability to facilitate the transfer of training? So Deliver Fund really had a, a unique program. It was one of the best parts to me of the program is that when they opened it up to people, it wasn't just required that attendees go. Now, some departments required that their investigators go through training, but others had to apply. So the people coming were, a lot of them were very interested in the training before they came and were aware of how it would help them be able to um, apply this to their job and do their job better. So they were very motivated. Another thing that um, made this program to me particularly effective was they used a lot of different um, training styles in the classroom. Like Stacy mentioned before, they used a lot of modeling, walked um, through technology, 
uh, with the participants so they could go through a whole case from beginning to end and how they could use that technology. So what they were teaching in the classroom was very close to what they were going to be doing as soon as they got back to their job. So having that closeness um, made it easy for them to transfer. It wasn't a stretch for them to transfer the skills they were learning to the workplace. But it did have um, some areas, I think, that Deliver Fund really wanted to focus on and that they have already made changes in their program. And one was to help, like Stacy mentioned, when they're doing something wrong, to have that to have more feedback loops engaged in, um, in the training. So they could sit and go through a process and know, okay, am I doing this right? Am I doing this the most effective? So I think incorporating some error management training was helpful because some of the um, participants would get back and go, okay, wait, I did this wrong. I'm not sure how I can correct this or, or move forward um, and apply this training. So that would have been helpful and they are um, applying that more in Deliver Funds training. Another aspect that Deliver Fund does not have as much control over, but like we've talked about before, you can go to a great training. You can pick the best candidates for training. Um, they can go learn new skills, new technology, but if the organization is not supportive of them transferring it back to the organization, maybe they don't give them time to practice and incorporate it into their new jobs. Maybe they expect them to be an expert the moment they get back from training. So Deliver Fund found that that was a limitation with the participants transferring what they learned was not necessarily the program they went through, the training they did at Deliver Fund, but it was when they got back to their organization, they didn't have the support they needed. Some of them could not even get access to the technology or a license for the technology beyond a certain point. So it might just be they could get it for six months or they knew it probably wouldn't be in the budget for the next year to get that technology. So they were less likely to transfer it or put the effort in to transfer their knowledge if they knew that their department wasn't going to be as supportive um, and continuing on with the license for the technology. Well, Lori, that's great information. You know, one thing I loved about your report is that it's chock full with guidance and, and, and really practical insights that that managers on the front lines can use. So if I'm a manager, when I'm identifying who should attend a technology oriented training, what should I consider? Great question. So I think part of this depends on the nature of your technology-oriented training. So if you're thinking about um, a situation in which you're looking for volunteers, this is not a type of maybe technology-oriented training you're sending every employee to, but it's something that, hey, we need to send our best and brightest so they can gain some new skills, some new insight to really help propel our organization, our agency forward. So a few tips we would offer is that managers should invite employees to volunteer. We did have a few people, as Lori mentioned, that attended training that were more voluntold to come to training, right? So their supervisor said, you're going to training, um, but they didn't necessarily volunteer. And so the, the thing that we noticed 
is that those who volunteered, who raised their hand and said, yes, I want to go to training, they were automatically motivated and engaged, which is part of those employee characteristics we talked about early on as the three factors that are so important for transfer of training. So having, having an opportunity for people to kind of raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested, that already puts you kind of a, a leg up on ensuring that you have motivated people ready to go to training. Another thing we would say is when managers are selecting who might go to voluntary training is find employees that really have a strong level of technology interest. If they're doing technology-oriented training, you'd want to send someone who is open to learning about new technology. If they're the person who's always saying, I'm going to get someone else to use technology, or I'm too old, or it's not for me, or if they always have an excuse to avoid using technology, they may struggle. They may struggle with that element of self-efficacy in technology-oriented training. So it's important to try to make sure you're picking the right people so that when they go to training, they're ready. They're ready to go. They're excited. And they're going to feel more comfortable and engaged and kind of ready to absorb whatever they can while they're in training, but also take it back to the organization afterwards. Now, that's the situation of being able to just pick the best and the brightest or those who are the most motivated and excited to go to training. I mean, that's an ideal world, but sometimes we recognize that sometimes an organization is really modernizing. They're trying to push their technology forward and they need to get everyone in their organization or a large portion of their organization going to training. So it might be more of a mandatory situation where everyone's gonna need to be trained how do you most effectively do that? So we also offer some advice for managers in that situation. So one is it's important to make sure that the people who are going to training understand the value of the technology beyond a mandate. So if we're just saying, you need to learn this technology because the old one's going away or federal laws requiring us to have this new technology, that's not very inspiring. <laughs> There's not much motivation that goes along with that. Uh, we need to make sure that our employees feel, you know, they understand that there's a value and a benefit to this beyond compliance. Compliance does not um, make us too excited to, to engage with something new. So helping them see the benefits of the technology can help put them in the right mindset as they go to this technology-oriented training. Another suggestion we offer is to try to find those employees that have kind of this higher level of technology interest, those ones who kind of are the quicker ones to raise their hand anytime there is voluntary op opportunities to go to training, especially technology-oriented training, and send them first, right? Have kind of a build up a support network of individuals who are comfortable with training, who can help kind of usher in those who are more hesitant so that there are local people in the agency, in the department, in the area that are already feeling comfortable with training. They can be a resource for those who are more hesitant so that as employees are coming through, some are gonna be more ready and equipped to engage with training than others and apply their training in others. But there's a resource, a local resource that can provide um, support to those who might need a little bit more help or assistance along the way. What are some of the limits to the successful transfer of training? We'll explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security, 
in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Lori Giddens and Stacey Petter, authors of the IBM Center Report, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. So, Lori, to address the shortage of federal government employees with skills in the domain of cybersecurity, the Federal CIO Council launched the Federal Cybersecurity Reskilling Academy, which is the second case study in your report. Can you tell us more about this program and what it sets out to do and what range of training methods and components does it use? Sure. This is the Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy is really an innovative program and it was exciting for us to get to learn more about it. So the like you mentioned, Michael, the Reskilling Academy is a training program to reskill current federal workers to address the cybersecurity skills gap. So I think that's one important aspect is this really focused on reskilling current employees who were already committed to government work in the mission and vision of their respective agency, but they had a desire to learn a new skill and had an aptitude for cybersecurity. So that's one of the very interesting um, and insightful things that um, the CIO Council did with this program is that they recruited people for the program based on their attitude and aptitude. And so they opened it up to anyone in the government agencies that they were looking at that had an interest in trying something new and changing careers, perhaps. So some of the people that applied for the program already had a technical background, but a lot of them did not. And so it just shows that when you open your programs up for reskilling to people um, and have a wide net to get people who are interested. It's amazing the amount of people that really wanted to engage in this program. I think they had 1,500 applicants um, for their first for their first cohort. So they looked at people um, in terms of attitude who were motivated and willing to change their career trajectories um, and participate in the program. And they also looked at their cognitive skills that were consistent or similar to the type of skills related to cybersecurity. So that really increased their pool of applicants that they chose from. And the program used a variety of instruction, hands-on learning, and assessments for trainees. They did instructor-led training mostly, um, but they also had some unique opportunities um, for participants beyond just their classroom training. So they had cyber competitions, and they also had some mentoring opportunities with people who were already in cybersecurity and government roles. So that was a really interesting to me, well-rounded um, program that they're running. 
That's great, Lori. Thank you. The What are the limitations that you folks identified related to this program's ability to facilitate the transfer of training? So as Lori shared, this was a really innovative program because just again, to reiterate, anyone from these selected federal agencies could apply for this to, to be part of this program, could get skills in cybersecurity. They did not necessarily have to have a technology background and many of them didn't. And so these were people really getting trained for completely different roles within their organization in order to fill the cybersecurity gap. So one thing they did with this first cohort is they thought, you know, here's people who, again, don't have this technology experience. They don't have these credentials other than attending this training. So they encouraged or even required their trainees to obtain certain credentials. And probably the most well-known credential in the cybersecurity space is called a CISSP certification. And so this is a third-party certification. It's it's very difficult to obtain, but these, these participants in the first cohort did an outstanding job. They were able to get this certification but then they ran into a problem. Um, as many people in government work know, there are very uh, regimented roles and responsibilities at different levels of classification um, for jobs within the federal government. So while these individuals had a certain credential, so they had the CISSP certification, they had cybersecurity skills, they didn't meet the experience requirements for the jobs in cybersecurity. Um, so many of these individuals that, especially from that first cohort, found themselves learning this great new skill. They were energized about the opportunity to serve the mission of the federal government in careers in cybersecurity, but they didn't qualify necessarily for roles in cybersecurity. So this required the Office of Management and Budget who put this program together to try to think through some creative solutions to address this problem. So we share a lot of this in our report. So a few things that they came up with were trying to identify some rotational job opportunities in order to help people get the experience they need. So taking someone who attended the federal cyber reskilling program and having them rotate in various jobs to help supplement their experience so they could meet those experience qualifications required for various jobs and roles within the federal government. Another thing that they tried to encourage was rethinking the hiring requirements for different positions. Um, but of course, this is pretty challenging and can be pretty slow moving in terms of trying to change pay scales, trying to change job requirements. Um, it requires a completely different rethinking about how human resources and personnel management works within the federal government, which is not an easy feat. Um, so it's one thing that they also recognize there was a need to consider. We can give people these skills and credentials, but if our hiring practices are incompatible with moving people into these roles, we can't transfer them into the roles where they can apply that technology-oriented training. So they also took some of these lessons learned um, and the Office of Management and Budget came up with some um, additional things in to try to address this problem with future cohorts. So they try to create a series of jobs that would be more specific and suitable for this group of candidates that go through this program, um, recognizing that they have credentials, but not the skills. So kind of the bottom line of all this, right? What do we take away from this is that if we're going to do really this transformational reskilling, like this really dynamic and interesting uh, federal cyber reskilling program, we're going to need some creative solutions from an organizational perspective in order to find ways to move employees into new roles that they don't necessarily fit directly. So we've got to be creative. We've got to be open. That can be very challenging, though, sometimes in the context of a government agency, though. That's wonderful. You know, you, you mentioned, um, Stacey, lessons learned. 
And, you know, in addition to the lessons learned from the delivery fund, I'm, I'm wondering when you, when, when you put them together, when considering a technology-oriented training programs, what should managers consider regarding lessons learned? Yeah, so as we integrate kind of what we found out from, from the managers kind of choosing Deliver Fund employees, kind of those recommendations and applying it in this context, we came up with some additional insights. And one would be, you know, be open to thinking about who should go to training. Sometimes when we think about technology-oriented training, we think of kind of our usual suspects, and those might be the people who are normally in tech-oriented jobs. Um, but one thing that was different about this program was identifying people who had an attitude and an aptitude for technology. They didn't necessarily need to have experience in that space. So with Deliver Fund, we mentioned choose people who are motivated, who are open to learning technology. And that's still true here. But what we're saying is also expand it wider. People who might not have had that opportunity to perform a technology-oriented role in the past, but have an interest in learning in it they might be really good candidates for these types of technology-oriented reskilling programs. Another opportunity is just to broaden that participation. Again, because you, if you do open it up beyond just maybe your usual suspects or people immediately in, in the same department, but broaden it across agencies, across departments to the extent that you can to offer these training opportunities, there's an opportunity to have people from a range of roles and perspectives that might offer something new and different that you wouldn't have previously if you only consider kind of people who tend to fall into certain um, career paths. Another thing that we learned through this program is that this was a, they had a couple different iterations with these cohorts in terms of how they actually provided the training. Um, at one point in time, there was training where people left their jobs, they sat in a classroom, um, they did a lot of face-to-face -face training or kind of dedicated time for training. They also ran a cohort in which there was a lot more um, online-based training. So one thing we realized is that it's really important for making sure that the employees have dedicated time to focus on training, whether they're sitting in a classroom Obviously, they're away from their jobs, so they're going to have dedicated time. But if they're in a virtual learning environment, they still need dedicated time, too. Just because they're not traveling to a different location, they need to be able to set aside time to focus on the training um, while they're at the workplace. And then the last thing that we would mention is, you know, sometimes these third-party certification exams can be one way to help demonstrate some additional credentialing or demonstrate that the training um, has some value or there's some depth to that training. So the CISSP offered through the Federal Cyber Reskilling Program was a great way to show externally beyond just within the organization that this person has really gained the benefits of training. They've passed a third-party exam, which can be sometimes useful when trying to demonstrate someone's skill set when they're moving into a completely new role or organization. That's terrific. You know, I have one more question in this area. If a technology-oriented resealing program dramatically changes and improves the skill set of the employee, from your research, what should a manager do to prepare for that? That's a really good question because we found that the programs were really fantastic and the people attending those trainings were very successful in both programs. So managers should really be prepared to identify the new roles or positions that the employees um, can move into to apply those skills and use those newly developed skills that they learned. Um, this was a this is a huge issue. Um, we have 
people that went through the, the liver fund program, you know, that they were able to go back to their organization, but weren't able to really move into those positions where they were using the technology in the context of human trafficking. And then it was very similar with the um, Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy, that they were going through the academy, but weren't able to move in those positions where they practiced that. So I think it's imperative that managers identify those positions, or at least if it's not a formal position, identify um, those areas where they can develop kind of that on-the-job training um, and application of their skills. So it's very important that um, there's a plan to help employees kind of transition into those roles that are more befitting of the training that they experienced. How best can we design or choose technology-oriented training programs? We'll explore this question and so much more on a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors returns. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Lori Giddens and Stacey Petter, authors of the IBM Center Report, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. So, uh, Stacey and Lori, I'd like to transition to recommendations. Um, Stacey, sending the right employees for training is critical to achieve the desired outcomes of the programs. Would you identify the three recommendations you have in your report that relate to this area? Sure. So the the first recommendation we would say is choose employees who exhibit technology engagement. And Lori and I are both information systems scholars. We study how people and organizations use information technology. And so one term we use is the idea of technology playfulness. But it's essentially this these people or individuals who just are interested in technology. They are willing to learn new things. They find pleasure in it. They want to be innovative with technology. And we all know some of those people. We know people who tend to just use technology and they kind of use it to get through their day. And then we have those people that we go to because they found some new trick that no one else seems to know. Like those are the people who are really going to thrive and be inspired and, and really enjoy and and learn from technology-oriented training and be more likely to bring it back to the workplace and apply that knowledge within their organization. Another thing that, and so actually before I even go into the next recommendation, one thing I would say that how managers can actually find those individuals is there are ways that you can measure this. So again, as academics, there's measurement scales that you can find that talk about the levels of spontaneity that individuals have with technology, how flexible or creative, how playful they are with technology. So this is something where you could send out a questionnaire to some of your employees and maybe identify people who you didn't necessarily realize have this high level of technology engagement. But you could say, here's some people who are high up on the scale that would be more likely to benefit from training and be able to bring those insights back to them. The second way that managers can, you know, 
be more likely to find the right employee is to identify employees who have identified an express need for technology-oriented training or they're strongly motivated for it. So it could be that these are employees who are saying, please send me to training. I want to get better. I want to learn something new. Like sometimes they're actually going to be pleading or asking their supervisors for training. And we encountered people um, throughout our, our process of this, of this research where we found that they said, yes, I was constantly asking my supervisor to be able to attend training. So those people will be easy to identify. But then there's also going to be other people who have a motivation to learn something new. Maybe they want to learn new technical skills or new functional skills that have kind of a professional need to move into a new position. Or maybe they have this intrinsic desire to transfer their skills, to learn something new. These are people who, again, are going to be highly motivated, highly excited to go to training and bring that back. So when trying to find those employees, how do you find them might be the question, right? How do I find those employees that really have a need or motivation for training? Well, asking people that might be going to training, that you're thinking of sending to training, ask them to explain, why do you want to go? What are your learning goals? What do you hope to learn from this? How might you apply it later on is one way to find this out. So those individuals who early on, before they even walk into training, know why they want to be there, are more likely to take value in the training that they have and then use it later on. So the third recommendation we would offer is to prioritize aptitude over experience. So going back to this, you know, something that we learned from the Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy is that it's not just about who has the most background in technology, it's finding the people who have that natural skill set or inclination towards technology even if they haven't had the opportunity to be in those roles in the past. So giving individuals kind of some new opportunities to display their skill sets and their capabilities and to try something new. Um, so one way that this, the Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy did this is they ask people for to complete tests related to problem solving um, or you know, doing puzzles. Could they could they find other adjacent skills, so not necessarily technology related, but the types of skills related to cybersecurity jobs that would demonstrate, hey, here's a group of people who might be ready and willing to, to try something new, ready to explore some technology-oriented training and move into some different roles within the organization. See, that's wonderful insight. I was wondering if you folks could share some other recommendations specifically around the best way to design or choose technology-oriented programs. Absolutely. So one of the first um, items that we recommend is to identify programs that enable or encourage opportunities for community building. And we've touched on this with um, throughout the podcast. So one of the things we noted was that training provides an opportunity to network and meet counterparts um, in different agencies and it offers social support. So one way that you can do that is by having frequent breaks and actual time for people to have lunch together, to talk about what you're learning and have that built into the schedule. Um, the participants we talked to, I know of one particular program, they had long lunches and frequent breaks. And we noticed that the people were very engaged with each other throughout the training um, in that aspect. Another aspect is that you can do smaller groups. So you can have instructional training for the whole group. There might be 20, there might be 100 people in training. So you need to make it 
available for people to actually meet people in smaller groups. I mean, it's very difficult to get to know 20 people when you're sitting in a classroom learning, but you can go into smaller learning groups or breakout groups to where you're going over a case or doing an assessment, that sort of thing. So you can encourage that. Also, whether you're doing face-to-face, -face, it's a lot easier to make room for networking when you're doing face-to-face, -face, but to incorporate that in online training as well by doing breakout groups in small classes or small training sessions within your bigger one, or even having um, online you know, um, happy hours or a time just to discuss different aspects of the training and and get to know other people in the training session. Another recommendation is to provide reference resources during training that can be utilized post-training. Um, as Stacy mentioned, I mean, you can go home and sleep and have a weekend um, off from training and get back Monday and go, what did I learn? What did we talk about? So it's important to provide training materials that are easily accessible. You might have a website, you might have digital training that they can, um, that the participants can search through to go, oh, I know I learned how to do this. I just need something to tell me again what steps I take to do that. So having um, the training materials available are, is very, very important, especially because this is going to take place, their learning and applying their skills is probably going to take place over an extended period of time. So to prevent from skill decay, um, the participants need to be able to go back and, and look at that training and those materials. Another important aspect um, that we recommend is incorporating feedback through learning assessments um, that are appropriate for the training. So those can be formal assessments that provide feedback and you can get credentials. For example, you can get a certification, but even beyond that, those more formal types of feedback and learning assessments that you can show, you can do just quizzes, you know, quizzes, different small, short um, learning assessments based on the needs of the agency. So it could be Role playing where you role play or you walk through a case and to see if you're doing things correctly and you need to have that time for the learners to sit down and go, okay, am I taking all this in? Am I learning this correctly? I need to reflect on what I've learned and make sure that I'm learning what I need to. Because in the moment, you're thinking, I'm getting this. This all makes perfect sense. But this kind of gives them a measure to say, I am learning what I came here to learn, or do I need some additional work and some additional training? And so having those in assessments and feedback loops built into the training process is very, very important. I was wondering, are there any other recommendations around the use and ability to apply the lessons learned from training that you want to share? Stacy? Sure. We have we have a couple of others that we want to mention, and and some might sound a bit um, obvious on the surface, but then once you think about it, you can realize why these sometimes come up. So the first would be to ensure technology availability for those who attended training. Meaning, once you get home from training, you need to be able to use the technology you just learned. You know, just like we said before, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if if you've learned something new. Um, you've learned a new piece of technology and you get back to your home office, you get back to your agency and that technology is not available for you to actually employ it or use it in your job. 
it's not going to stay with you. You're not going to be able to continually apply it. Um, and we actually saw this happen, um, especially for those who attended Deliver Fund training. Many of those folks, they got back to their home agencies and some of the technologies that they used were not readily accessible. So then we talked to them a few months later and they hadn't used the technology because it wasn't available to them. And sometimes this can be a timing issue. The training course is coming up in the next few weeks, but we know IT isn't gonna be implementing that new technology for several months later. Well, maybe we wanna delay the training or try to make sure our timing is better between when we're implementing technology in our organization and when we're sending people to training. Another recommendation we would offer is making sure that our employees have some time to apply those insights from training. We've mentioned this a few times that it does take time to get up to speed and become more efficient with the skills that are learned during training. And sometimes when we come back or, you know, as a manager, we send someone to training and we're thinking you should be an expert. I spent a week uh, sending you a training. We all covered for you while you were gone. You're the expert. You're ready to get to hit the ground running. And while they know more than before, it is gonna take some time to build up that expertise. So it's unrealistic to assume that someone's gonna come back from you know, a short period or even a multi-week training program and be an expert. It's gonna take some time to be able to apply those skill sets and that knowledge into the workplace because not only is it learning the technical knowledge, remember that it's not just using the tool itself and that technical knowledge, it's applying it to a function and to the processes that we have in a specific context. And that just does take some time for people to be able to develop and improve those skills. Another recommendation we would offer is that give people time to refresh their skills. So again, Different jobs have different characteristics. Sometimes the technology that's used in a job is used intermittently. It's not used all the time. So as an example of this, this would not necessarily be an example of reskilling an employee, but you know, for those of us who might have to enter expense reports, I don't do that every day. I don't remember all of the steps all of the time, right? So we need to have, it's gonna be a little slower until, you know, especially until I get back up to speed again, right? We have to refresh our skills um, over time. And so, for example, those who are going to the Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy, you know, if they're not um, able to implement those cybersecurity skills quickly, they're going to have to have some planned time for skill refreshers, take away time from their day-to-day -day job so they can kind of refresh their memories and keep those memories current about the skills that they learned throughout that training process. And then the last recommendation we would offer is that it's really important to think about how training is coupled with different requirements experiences in the HR process. So just like we saw with this issue with the Cyber Federal Reskilling Academy, people went off, they learned these great cybersecurity skills, they came back to their home organization, and there really wasn't the right type of job or opportunity available for them because of the way the jobs were designed. So thinking more creatively about how to help employees be able to gain the experience they need to have that forward momentum in the organization in order to have the types of roles that they're looking for and have promotion opportunities based on those technology skills is really important. I want to thank you both, Stacy and Lori, for joining me today. It's been a wonderful conversation around the insights uh, about your report and the recommendations you offered. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much, Michael. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Stacy Petter and Lori Giddens, authors of the IBM Center Report, Reskilling the Workforce with Technology-Oriented Training. 
You can download this report or all Senate reports at businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, or listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. WFED Washington, WTOPFM HD2 Washington, W283DG Sterling, WTLPFM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Network is the news organization of record for the federal community. We are nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and our job is to help federal government and contracting executives make informed decisions. We inform federal managers, contractors, and policymakers on issues related to the federal workforce, management, and acquisition, pay benefits and retirement, the Defense Department, and federal IT. Portions pre recorded. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, and the Navy Midshipmen. We are the Washington, D.C. home of Navy Athletics. Download the Federal News Network app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Play Federal News Network on Alexa. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Federal News Network. Our mission is helping you meet your mission.